Without Jerry McNamara, we wouldn't have won 10 games this year. Okay? Not 10. Two seconds and one. It's 10 wins in a row for the Crunch. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in more than 30 years as the Orange hold off the defending national champions. They beat Clemson. The Bills make me wanna shout. McCoy in the backfield, takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle. He's inside the 10, cuts to the left, into the end zone. Buffalo wins. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. They'll look at the positive side of things once in a while instead of the negative all the time. This is On the Block. Here's X-Men. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, ESPN Radio, Oh, what's happening, Mohawk Valley? It's exciting times for you, Utica. You know why? Well, plenty of reasons. Mostly chicken riggings. But you know what else? We are back on the FM, Utica. That's right. If you are listening to us on ESPN Radio Utica Rome, we certainly appreciate that, first of all. Second of all, you can now find us back, baby, on the FM dial at 96.5. So we're excited to be there. We're excited wherever you're listening today, perhaps on the ESPN app, maybe via Alexa, maybe sometime in the future on our podcast that we do. We take this show, podcast it via iTunes or Google Play, ESPN Syracuse. Just subscribe, and then you can listen to the program on your time. However you're doing it today, greatly appreciate that. Here's how you get in touch with the show. Love to hear the hot takes throughout the day. That's hot. 437-7644. That's the phone number. Brent Axe Media. Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The On The Block text line is 288-0644 if you'd like to fire off some takes that way. Uh, you're better off calling this hour. You can always tweet. You can always text us at any time. We have a very busy 5 o'clock hour today, so if you want to get those thoughts rolling via the phone lines, this is the hour to do it. We've got three guests that will join us in the 5 o'clock hour. It's going to be a little crazy, but it is going to be well worth it. We'll tell you about them coming up here momentarily. We will talk plenty of Syracuse-Notre Dame throughout the game, uh, throughout the day, pardon me, start to get into Syracuse-UConn a little bit as well. There is one thing about this game that I think you really have to be concerned about. If you're a Syracuse basketball fan, we will get into that. Hot takes as usual, so get on board and do the thing. Also want to tell you that we will be at the Press Room Pub tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow, Thursday is tomorrow. They're having a, boy, that's the place to watch Syracuse, Connecticut. That is the place to watch Syracuse and whomever they play Friday, which will either be a 4.30 or 6.30 game, depending on if Syracuse wins or loses against Connecticut, and certainly it's the place to hang and watch Syracuse-Notre Dame on Saturday. We'll be there tomorrow ahead of their Syracuse-UConn watch party, so you get out of work or you just want to come hang with us, we'll be there tomorrow. We're going to be doing our show at the Press Room Pub about once a month, and tomorrow is that day, so I hope you can come and hang with us tomorrow as the Big Orange weekend in New York uh, technically starts tonight with Syracuse women's basketball taking on Texas A&M, a top 25 matchup there. SU-UConn Thursday, SU-UN. We'll see. 
on Friday. I hope it's Oregon, but we'll see how things play out. And then it all culminates with Syracuse-Notre Dame on Saturday. We have three guests that will join us today to discuss that game. And I'll kind of go backwards here and build up who we're having. So at 5.30, we are going to talk to the one and only Mike Golick Jr. of Golick and Wingo, of ESPN Radio, and many other formats. Mike, of course, played at Notre Dame. He has been uh, gently needling Syracuse on the airwaves throughout the week, along with his father, Mike Golick. So we will talk to Golick Jr. about this matchup, this game, Notre Dame football, college football, sports in general. Um be great to have Golick Jr. on today. Now, what I've got to figure out, so Daniel Baldwin, as you're well aware, who does the Daniel Baldwin show weekdays at 10 o'clock right here on ESPN Radio Syracuse, has found a way, and having a brother named Alec certainly helps here. I don't have a famous brother, so I'm going to have to figure out a way for me to infiltrate Golick and Wingo the same way that he has infiltrated the Dan Lebitard show. As you know, started off Lebitard was taking shots at him, and Baldwin responded, came back and forth. People are dropping off signs at the station. Levitard sends us a cheesecake and a peace offering, and that turns into Daniel Baldwin doing celebrity picks for a week. That turned into two, that turned into five, and now he's done them every week of the football season. That may end this week. I don't know. So I'm like, all right, well, if we're having Gola Jr. on today, I've got to find a way to kind of poke at him to infiltrate my way onto Golick and Wingo. So I don't know if we propose a wager. I don't know if I just mock Notre Dame the whole time. We're going to have to figure this out. So we'll have some fun. Talk to Mike Golick Jr. at 5.30. Pete Sampson is going to join us next hour as well. Pete covers Notre Dame for The Athletic. And our usual Friday spot, Julian Wiggum, is going to hang in studio through all of that, and we'll discuss this matchup. He has played at Yankee Stadium before. He doesn't have a good memory of playing at Yankee Stadium because he got a concussion, but he knows what it's like to play there, the circumstance of it, and, of course, our usual uh, Wednesday analysis with Julian. So very busy 5 o'clock hour, as you can tell. And, you know, looking at this matchup, and I want to start there with Syracuse and Notre Dame. Speaking of which, I brought up Daniel Baldwin while we're in the promotion mode. Daniel and Danny Shays are going to be broadcasting from New York City the next couple of days. Seth and Steve are going to be in New York City, I believe it's Sirius XM Studios, for the next couple of days. We've got a pregame show on Saturday at the Bronx Draft House. It's just blocks from Yankee Stadium. Romano Subaru pregame going from 1230 to 2.30. So if you're looking for a place to pregame before Syracuse and Notre Dame, you're going to be down there for the game. Seth and Seth Everett will be there from 1230 to 2.30 on Saturday. The thing I'm most concerned about in this game, from a Syracuse standpoint, is that Eric Dungy has not seen a defense like this since Clemson. And even when he did see a defense like that, Syracuse, as we know, was a Travis Etienne taking over the fourth quarter, a possession away, you know, however you want to point, a penalty away. You know, they were right there. Like, that was their game. They were in control, and they let it slip away. And yet they were right there. It was a grinded out, back and forth, mono mono type of football game. Mind you, Trevor Lawrence got hurt in that game, and that's a factor, but that's Clemson. They shouldn't. Little did we know then, knowing much more about Syracuse now, but little did we know then like how big of a deal it was that Syracuse was going toe-to-toe with this team. So in this season, how rare would it be to get the number two and number three team in the country be a possession away from beating the number two team 
Yes, coming in against the number three team in the country, a 10-point underdog, but Notre Dame fans, as we will discuss with Pete Sampson and maybe a little bit with Gola Jr. later as well, this will sound familiar, are a little worried and a little upset that a home game was moved away. Now, as we know, and if you don't know, let me repeat it one more time for you, it was not Syracuse that moved this game to Yankee Stadium, it was Notre Dame. This was a Notre Dame home game that they picked up and moved to Yankee Stadium as a part of something they call the Shamrock Series. And a lot of fans seeing how this has played out, and you know, let's be honest, if you're Jack Schwarbrick, who is the AD at Notre Dame, and you're saying we can move a game to New York City, draw television, draw a crowd, NBC will be there, of course. What's the game we're going to move to do that? We can get away with that, making an event, make some money, kind of solidify our independent status. Well, you're going to pick Syracuse to do that. How much of a draw? Now, South Bend, they sell out every game. Every Notre Dame home game is an event. Syracuse fans that were looking forward to making that, you know, you got to go to Notre Dame once in your life, right? Well, you might as well see your team when they're there. They were a little upset that it didn't happen, but Notre Dame's on the schedule enough that it'll round itself out. Notre Dame fans are now looking at this saying, well, look how Syracuse is. Did you underestimate them? Well, of course they did. The answer to that is, of course they did. You don't move that game, and they moved it last year. If you know Syracuse was an eight-win football team and has prime opportunity to beat Notre Dame and beat Boston College, be a 10-win team. Of course you don't move it then. But the one thing I'm concerned about is this game is reminding me a lot about Clemson. Ian Book will play. Ian Book's not 100%. He's got a rib injury. Can he follow through on those throws? Ian Book is in there because he just put life into the Notre Dame offense. Notre Dame, you basically, even though they're 10-0, you split their season pre-Ian Book, after Ian Book. Brandon Wimbush was the quarterback of this team for the first three games of the season and was not impressive, pardon me. Ian Book came in, boom, put a huge jolt into the Notre Dame offense. Other than the 1914 game against Pittsburgh, there's a lot of big offensive scores there. There's a lot of big scores there for Notre Dame. But Syracuse fans are looking at that and saying, well, with their offense, having scored 50 points in five games this year, they can keep pace. And you'd be right about that. Now, that being said, my question is, how much has Syracuse been lulled into a false sense of security or confidence, given that they played Louisville this week, who we know is a tire fire, played NC State, or pardon me, Wake Forest the week before that, who, you know, Wake Forest has, you know, bounced back and beat NC State. They're an impressive team in some ways, but they were not impressive that day. Syracuse ran the ball, controlled the ball. Their turnover margin's been huge, as it will be in this game. And they went on the road and took care of business. The week before that at home, a very motivated Eric Dungy comes out and beats an NC State team that was impressive, that was Syracuse's best win, was a ranked win, but hindsight being 2020, NC State's fading a little bit here. And was that defense as impressive as advertised? North Carolina's defense certainly was not. Pittsburgh beat Syracuse and then Clemson, right? So I'm worried about that. Notre Dame's defense, I know that we're honed in on Ian Book and that offense, but people that have watched Notre Dame football this year know how good this defense is. 
Pro Football Focus unveiled its college pass rush grades on Tuesday. And I understand this is one measurement. It is not everything. I can throw all kinds of stats at you. I will always remind you on this show to take certain stats with a grain of salt. I can make a case with stats and make it sound impressive, right? I can dazzle you with numbers. But there are certain things that are truth tellers in college football. Syracuse is in the most important category there, and that is plus-minus turnovers, plus 13. That will keep them in every game they play, including this one. But it is noteworthy. And when Pro Football Focus put out their college pass rush grades Tuesday, Notre Dame is the third best pass rush nationally with a grade of 84.1. Clemson topped the list. There's Clemson, 89.9. Little school named Alabama was second at 87.3. Notre Dame was third. Ohio State was fourth. Notre Dame has given up a total of six plays of 30-plus yards. Six, Notre Dame has given up 20 passes of 20-plus yards all year. So if you're thinking this is let it ride, Syracuse is going to come in, score points with the big play, I would caution you against that. I would caution you thinking that Syracuse can come in and throw something at former Syracuse defensive coach Clark Lee, Notre Dame head coach Brian Kelly, that they haven't already seen and or cannot defend. This is not going to be a game to me that Dino Babers is going to outwit Brian Kelly. This is not going to be, oh, we caught them napping. It's just not. We'll get more in the weeds on Notre Dame with Pete Sampson from The Athletic later. But they have a very impressive pass rush, very imp- impressive defensive line. You look at Jerry Tillery. You look at Jalen Elliott, a shutdown corner. This is going to be more like Clemson. This is going to be more like, this is not razzle-dazzle, this is not trickery, this is just mono-e-mono football. Trevor Lawrence left that game, Ian Book will play this game, but he's not 100%. Syracuse has found its running game, not only the last couple weeks, but you really have to give him credit for it all season. Syracuse has doubled its touchdown output this year. They had 16 rushing touchdowns last year, they're already at 32 and counting. They've had 10 in the last two weeks. Now, that is Louisville and Wake Forest, so take that for what you will, but this is a running game that believes it can run the football. This is a passing game that can believes it can pass the football, and you have a quarterback that believes he can do both. Again, my hesitation there is Notre Dame is going to shut down more plays that Eric Dungy's been used to the past few weeks. That's where that false sense of security comes in. So I'm sensing that Syracuse can absolutely cover the nine points in this game. I'm sensing they can make this a game. But I'm trying to find the difference. Because what they've got going for them is plus-minus, terrific special teams, they're running the football, dual-threat quarterback. I'm trying to find the weakness, though. I'm trying to find, and there's always X factors and things we don't think of ahead of time here, but if you feel like Syracuse is going to beat Notre Dame, and you have a right to think that, I'm feeling like this is going to be a lot like the Clemson game. Now, there were perfect conditions for the Clemson game. Weather may or may not be a factor here. The thing you got to keep a very close eye on, and we're just not going to know till Saturday, is the wind. Because they're projecting wind gusts of up to 25 to 30 miles per hour at Yankee Stadium. Syracuse will not have the crowd on its side, at least initially, at least 
from kind of a, I'm trying to think of the right way, just presentation-wise. As Nate Mink reported on Syracuse.com today, looking at the ticket distribution, Syracuse fans are going to be outflanked 4-1. to one. A lot of Notre Dame fans there. It's their game. They moved it there. It wasn't one of these neutral site games, you know, let the, the ticket buying begin. No, it's their game that they moved there. Syracuse was given extra tickets. Syracuse was giving an allotment. Syracuse sold out that allotment. And now you're getting into the world of StubHub and are Notre Dame fans putting their tickets on these secondary sites and are Syracuse fans scooping some of those up one way or the other? That's a Notre Dame crowd. This is not a neutral site game. This is a road game. And that's weird to say in Yankee Stadium, which has been a friendly place for Syracuse, but make no mistake, this will be a road game. So how do they find their way around these obstacles is my big question. Something we'll continue to discuss, something we will ask Pete Sampson from The Athletic, something we will discuss with Mike Golick Jr., and Julian Wiggum later in the show. So looking forward to talking to all those gentlemen. Looking forward to talking to you today. And I'm looking forward to getting my stock tip of the day. Because my man Lee Baldwin is here for some Diamonds and Dogs on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Lee, what was uh, things looking like on Hump Day today? <laughs> hump Day, how you doing, Brett? I'm doing great. How about yourself, man? I like it when you talk about point spreads. I'm not sure what they are, but I kind of get it, maybe. So. <laughs> for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> Entertainment. Uh, we do have a diamond today. The markets were down, but, uh, you know, cold day out there. Our diamond goes to Canada Goose up 9%. They had sales and earnings up over 30%. So. Is, that the, is that the coats? Yeah, the thousand. Ah, okay. Now they got a boot line, so you can Ooh, spend, okay. I don't know how much on boots to go with your outfit. But don't tell my wife. <laughs> no, don't. Keep it on the down low. Shh. Speaking of low, Boeing today was down about 4 bucks. They were down pretty big yesterday. I guess they forgot to tell the pilots about some safety things. Oops, mm, don't do that. Don't do that. No. no, 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 especially a busy traveling season coming <laughs> exactly. up. Come on now. All well, right, Lee, thank you, sir. Excellent. Good stuff. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. That's Lee Baldwin, ladies and gentlemen. You can find him at LeeBaldwin.com, or better yet, stop on in his offices in Casanova or Utica and make sure that portfolio as all the diamonds and none of the dogs. 437-7644 is the phone number. We'll break on that note. Now, I have not listened to this, and I am not going to qualify this as an official how long can I take a take, right? It's now time for how long can Brent take a take. No, we're not going to do that. Thank you for chiming in, though, voice guy. But uh, Tommy, who's filling in for Seth Goldberg today on the producing end, Seth on his way to New York City for all the festivities this weekend, tells me that Stephen A. Smith and Paul Feinbaum did a segment discussing Syracuse football. So how the hell can I not listen to that? We will do that next. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. Stay right there. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Let's get it. You're on the block. Right, Grace? Don't forget, we're on the FM dial, baby. You knew that already if you're listening on 97.7, 100.1 in Syracuse. But for those of you in the Mohawk Valley, we are now a 96.5 FM. Fantastic. Great to be back on the FM in the Mohawk Valley. With that fancy open, let's do this thing. I'm ready. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot and hot. Man, it's hot. How hot is it?
music. It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. <laughs> it's time for hot takes on the block. Ooh, we had some drama in Golden State. Now, this is going to sound really stupid. It wouldn't be the first time, certainly will not be the last, that I present a take like this. That's just dumb. Boy, I got it even before I gave the take. How about that? You want to chime in, Jim? Dumb. Thank you very much. Being in Golden State for an 82-game season, given all the talent they have, the expectations that have been set, the dynasty that they present, the biggest problem that Steve Kerr has as the head coach of that team is they get bored. They know they're better than everybody else. It's a long season, and they almost have to invent drama, bring in new players, or find something to keep their minds occupied until... They get to when it counts, and you can turn up that proverbial gear. And yeah, there's probably ten games a year where that happens. You get punched in the nose. Somebody comes in and challenges this team more than you would think, and they just kick it to that gear that only they have. LeBron James is doing the same thing with the Lakers right now. He is coasting. He has learned how to, and only LeBron James can do this. Play at about seventy percent and still dominate. But when LeBron wants to really crank it up, he's unstoppable. So with that, I present this. Draymond Green, who certainly won't be his first time in a situation like this, nor his last, has been suspended without pay after antics with teammate Kevin Durant cost him over $120,000. Now, if you didn't see this, Draymond got a rebound in a tie game about six seconds to go. Durant is right next to him asking for the ball. He didn't give it to him. He drove coast to coast and got the ball stolen from him. The Warriors lost in overtime after going on a 16-3 run at the end of regulation to send it to that overtime. Teammates say that after the game in the locker room was one of the most volatile episodes for the Warriors in this dynasty run. Video of Durant during this exchange saying, quote, that's why I'm out. He's a free agent after the season, don't forget. Now, after last night's game, Durant said he hasn't talked to Draymond since then. Warriors player told the athletic that Durant is good as gone. Draymond Green called Durant a B word that rhymes with twitch, I'll say, numerous times. So are we seeing a breakdown of the mighty Golden State Warriors, or are we seeing a team that's bored? Are we seeing a team that no one can challenge them? So things like this will be, there's drama on every team. Have you ever read The Jordan Rules? If you've never read the book, The Jordan Rules, I highly suggest you do. And this is from the 90s. This is from, you know, that run when the Bulls were just starting to come up and just starting to dominate. The things that they did in practice, the ruthless competitive fire of Michael Jordan, what he said to teammates, and they made it work. And those teams stayed together. In this day and age, the NBA is different. You come, you form a super team, you go. And Durant has always been a little bit of... A little too sensitive. Like, what are you doing answering people on Twitter? Why do you care what certain people say? Durant is at a level where, yes, athletes need to be motivated by certain things, but I always wondered why he cares so much about things. I get why Draymond calls him what he does. Now, Draymond's his own thing, and every team needs a mix of personalities. I just brought up the Bulls. Jordan, Pippen, Rodman, right? All great teams have this mix. And everybody's always said that Steve Kerr is the great Zen master that can keep this thing going. Well, it's November 14th. 
The challenge of a great coach is to make November 14th as important as June 14th. And he doesn't always accomplish that. So is this a blip on the radar screen? Is this drama that's being leaked by certain people, maybe in Durant's camp, kind of setting the the page for what's going to happen when he's a free agent after this year? I don't know. But it comes down to they're just better than everybody. And things like this is what they need. As ridiculous as that sounds. Winning's not enough for them. Again, this all sounds dumb to certain people like, well, playing for championships and making millions of dollars should be enough. I don't disagree with you, but it's not reality these days. They have gotten so good and so on another level that when Steph is injured and things like this happen, mountains become, you know, molehills become mountains kind of thing. It's November 14th. What kind of drama can build through this because of the intense scrutiny and coverage that happens? I think they'll be fine because they're so long to go. The NBA has covered so intensely, the league has almost never been better, that these things become bigger stories sometimes than they are. But we've got all of this month, all of December, all of January, all of February, all of March, all of April, and two months of the playoffs. When this is all said and done, Golden State will be the champion. They'll find a way around this. But you need a little drama. You need a little push here and there. Coaches won't admit this. But there's just certain things that happen during a season that motivate a team and bring it together or can tear it apart. It certainly can go the other way. That they will admit, while I didn't think of that, I'm glad it happened because this team needed a little bit of that drama. 437-7644. Jake in Syracuse wanted to chime in on this very subject. Jake, what's up, man? Yeah, thanks for bringing this up because I was just talking about this today. Uh, First, uh, with Twitter... Nothing good ever comes from Twitter. Everybody get off Twitter. <laughs> get off. It'll cost you your director job in Hollywood. It'll, it's just terrible. But what I was saying today is like this is fake news. Michael Jordan punched Steve Kerr in the <laughs> face. Did. Okay. Yes. And if did. we had social media back then, like we do today, it would be that would have been the biggest story ever. But this is just uh, fake news. Thanks for taking my call. All right. Thanks, Jake. Appreciate the call. And you just brought up a great point. In that sense, that if there was, if we knew then what we know now, maybe things would be different. But we didn't know. We only heard about it. Like there was a rumor, or Sam Smith, uh, I can talk. Sam Smith writes a book, and yes, Michael Jordan punches Steve Kerr. But some people don't hear that story until this very moment or a year later. Now with social media. Durant and Draymond have a disagreement in the locker room. It's going to get out. But the thing with it, I'll say this about this very subject. Draymond and Durant, that was on the court. Like Durant said, give me the ball and Draymond wouldn't give it to him. This isn't something in the locker room that leaked out in one sense. It did in others. This is like on the court stuff that, you know, everybody could see. So I don't agree that it's fake news using Jordan as the reference because the world's different now. We hear all this stuff and if, you know, even if we don't hear it right away, we're going to get out eventually. The other big drama thing I wanted to bring up to jump to the National Football League here in hot takes is Le'Veon Bell. So Le'Veon Bell didn't report yesterday. He's got to sit out the year. And I'm sure Steeler fans have very passionate opinions on this, given that James Conner is now in concussion protocol. But even before James Conner was in concussion protocol, they were ready to move on. And some will say that because... The running back is a position where you can go in the draft and find somebody, as most teams can do, that Bell is not worth the money he's asking for. 
I don't disagree with that. But I think in the long term, Le'Veon Bell's going to be fine. And here's why. Someone will pay him. Do you know how many teams, the Buffalo Bills included, but there's about six teams right now that could use Le'Veon Bell, A, and B, have about $80 million or more in cap space to spend. And you're telling me that one of those six teams, the Bills are on that list, the Colts are on that list, the Raiders are on that list, a few that I'm forgetting here. But you're telling me one of those six teams or somebody else is not going to pay a running back who, when he's at his best, is one of the best in the NFL and sat out for a year. Well, he's a bad teammate. He's this. No. See, here's the thing. Like A guy that's on that team right now drove 100 miles per hour on a game day. Like Antonio Brown, he's a good teammate because he's there and he does that, but Le'Veon Bell is looking for the best contract he's going to get and knows the Steelers aren't going to do it, so he made a business decision to sit out. It's costing him in the short term. It's costing him $14 million, but this will all work out. You're telling me that in the National Football League, desperate for talent, desperate for players, yeah, you can take a shot in the draft and hope you get like a Nick Chubb or a Sony Michelle or a running back that can come in and make an impact, but bad teams that haven't drafted well aren't willing to wait that long and take a chance on it. When they got the money to spend, they will do it. It's not working out in Pittsburgh anymore, but who's really the drama queen here? Is it the Steelers or is it Le'Veon Bell? I think this will work out. Now, apparently, Ben Roethlisberger texted Le'Veon Bell saying he hoped he was going to show up, but if he decided not to, he wished him the best. Like, players get it. All this time, oh, it's it's rupturing the locker room. Every player in that locker room knows what it's like, especially if you're on a certain level. Like an Antonio Brown, like a Ben Roethlisberger, like a star. They know better than we do, than the coaches do, than anybody do. He'll get paid. He will get his money. He will get a big contract. He's got to ride it out now, and the Steelers, their fans, fantasy owners are pretty ticked at him. But any team that signs him should not be concerned about him. Why? Because Le'Veon Bell is doing this to the team he knows will not give him a contract. The team that gives him the contract, he'll be fine. Now, you always got to worry about the mentality of players once they get paid, you know, do they play with the same hunger and the same passion and the same desire? I mean, that's the risk you take with any big free agent signing. But those saying like Le'Veon Bell has submarined his career, I just don't buy that. In the short term, he's taking a big hit. Long term, someone's still going to sign him because there's enough desperate teams in the NFL that have a lot of cap space to burn. They're going to say, we need him and we'll bring him in. We have got a big Syracuse-Notre Dame hour on the way. Our buddy Julian Wiggum will be in studio, as always. We're going to talk to Pete Sampson from The Athletic, one of the great beat reporters that covers this team. I highly suggest you read his stuff. Follow him on Twitter for great insight into Notre Dame this week. Get off the Twitter! Nothing good happens from Twitter, right, Jake? Mike Golick Jr. set to join the program next hour as well. A lot happening. Stay right there. You're on the block, ESPN Radio.